Thank you for listening to the podcast of Bible Baptist Church. Please visit our website at www.southbaybbc.org for more information. Once again, the theme verse for our church this year is Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 6. But without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. We've taken a look at a number of different aspects of the Christian life in which we should trust God, and that faith is what pleases Him. And today, we're going to take a look at soul winning. Because soul winning by faith pleases the Lord. And so I want to take a look at just a few aspects of winning souls to Christ from this passage that will please the Lord. The first of which is the power of the soul winner that pleases God. In verse number five of chapter one, you're in chapter two, go back to chapter one. In verse number five, it says, for our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance, as you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. I think sometimes Christians can be intimidated by soul winning because they don't think that they can do it. They don't think that they're good at it. You know, I, I don't know how to talk to somebody about Jesus. I don't know how to lead them to the Lord. I, I don't know what to say. You know, I, people have asked questions and I never seem to know what the answers are. You know, I'm not smart enough. I don't know enough about the Bible. And, you know, I, I feel like I still really need to grow in these areas. And, and uh, sometimes Christians can be intimidated into not sharing the gospel. But we need to remember that God is not looking for our intellect or our eloquence or how good we are at something. The whole point of everything is that God would be glorified with our faith. D.L. Moody said, God stands in no need of our strength or wisdom, but of our ignorance, of our weakness. Let us but give these to him and he can make use of us in winning souls. Because soul winning is not about what you can do and how good you are at saying the right words. Soul winning is about putting your faith in God, that God will be the one to win the soul. That it is simply us who is giving somebody the gospel, and it is God who will work and God who will save. There is power that is needed for soul winning. It's just that that power does not come from me. And it does not come from you. It has to come from the Lord. Acts chapter 1, verse number 8, Jesus is speaking to the disciples there. He's speaking to that church that is there. And he says, but ye shall receive power. He said, you're going to have power. And we do need power. Where is that power going to come from? After that, the Holy Ghost is come upon you. So God desires to give power to his believers, and he gives that power through the Holy Ghost. Now, when you get saved, the Holy Ghost dwells within you. That's part of the seal. That's part of the mark that is given to every believer. How do you know that you are saved? When his spirit beareth witness with your spirit that you are the child of God. That Holy Spirit dwells within you. So every believer has the Holy Spirit. Having the Holy Spirit, there is power to lead souls to Christ. 
And then he says, And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. So what God is saying is, I know that you need power to win souls. You cannot go out there by yourself. You need to receive the power first. So wait for the Holy Spirit, because it is with the Holy Spirit that power comes. When you receive the Holy Spirit, you will receive the power, and with that power, then you can go and win souls. That power is so necessary. When you go out soul winning, make sure you don't go out by yourself. Make sure you partner with the Holy Spirit. That you're not just going by, this is what I'm going to do and how I'm going to do it and when I'm going to do it. But God, I need your power. I'm going to go where you lead. And I'm going to go, I need you, so we're going to go together. In John chapter 16, Jesus, speaking of the Holy Spirit, called the Comforter here, says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. It's better for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they believe not in me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and ye see me no more. Of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged. The idea here is that the lost soul needs to be convicted that they are a sinner, that they need to be saved, and Jesus is the only way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. I'm sure every one of us who's been out soul winning has had the experience of sharing the verses with somebody and having that person respond in a way that basically communicates, I know what you're saying, but I don't believe it. You ever been there? You share the gospel with somebody, you're sharing with them that they're a sinner, you're sharing with them why they're, you know, why that's so bad, the wages of sin is death, and you're sharing all of these things, and you're saying all of the right things, but still not yet moved. The Holy Spirit is the one that needs to convict their heart and to break them to the point where they realize, you know what, I am not good enough in myself, I must trust in Jesus Christ. So as soul winners, the kind of faith that pleases God is the one where he says, you know what, I don't have power, but I know that you do, so I'm going to go trusting that you will use your power. The scriptures also has power, Romans chapter 1, verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. There is power in the gospel. There is power in the word of God. Verse number 9 of 1 Thessalonians 1 says, For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. See, the word of God had an effect on their life. Chapter 2, verse 13 says, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because... When you received the word of God, which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. The idea of the soul winner is 
I do not have the power to save anybody. I can only trust that God is the one that will use his power. And soul winning is simply a humble Christian taking the word of God, the gospel, by the power of the Holy Spirit and giving it to a lost soul so that they might be saved. So convinced of Paul was that, that what he could say had no effect, and in fact, his eloquence could be a detriment to the gospel, that he humbled himself and used the simplest of words when leading others to be saved. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he says, And I, brethren, when I came unto you, I came not with excellency of speech or wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. See, sometimes the soul winner can think, oh, you know what, I really need to practice this presentation. I need to be good with words and smooth with how I present the gospel. Paul is saying, I didn't come with any excellency of speech or wisdom. In verse number two, he says, for I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. These were the words that he gave. Jesus Christ is the son of God. He came and he died on the cross he was buried three days, and three days later, he rose again from the dead so that we might be saved. In verse number three, he says, And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. His presence was not one of a charismatic leader who stood up and everybody was magnetized by the charisma of his speech. He said, I came in weakness and fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. What Paul was saying was he was saying, you know what, I don't want to put my trust in how well I could speak, in how charismatic I could be, and how impressed other people would be of me, I want every single person to simply put their trust in the Lord, in the word of God, in Jesus Christ. And that kind of faith is the faith that pleases God. The Christian who simply says, God, I, just to be honest, I don't really know what to say. I'm not really sure how to lead somebody to Christ. And of course, you can learn verses and, and gain an experience. But a simple Christian who simply says, you know what? I'm not even really sure what I'm doing out here. I just know that people need to be saved. And I know John 3.16. And I know a couple of verses from the book of Romans. And I just want to tell people about Jesus Christ so that they could be saved. That kind of faith will please the Lord. And I believe that when it comes to soul winning, that that's the kind of faith that God desires for us to have. Not that we have it all figured out and that our presentation is so smooth and that we know all the right words to say, but that oftentimes we don't know the right words to say, but God can still work in their hearts. And that the word of God will still work and that they can be saved by the power of God. The second aspect I want to see is the pursuit of the soul winner that pleases God. Chapter number two, verse number one says, For yourselves, brethren, know our entrance in unto you that it was not in vain. 
Paul here is on his second missionary journey as he goes through the city of Thessalonica preaching the gospel to them. And if you have one of the Bibles there, a physical Bible, you'll probably have some maps, either there in the back or the front of your Bible. You'll have some different maps. And almost always some of the maps are Paul's first and second missionary journey and his third and his fourth missionary journeys. These are journeys that Paul took away from his home so that he could preach the gospel to people that had not heard the gospel but needed to be saved. And that was Paul's heart. That was Paul's attitude. That was Paul's desire that he go out and win souls. He would go and pursue them because he was not one to wait around and wait for lost souls to come knock on his door. He wanted to go out there and find them and lead them to the Lord because he thought that the lost were worth pursuing. Matthew chapter 16, verse number 26 says, For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? See, there is no price that you could put on your own soul. What would you give in exchange for your soul to go to heaven? The answer is nothing. There is no dollar amount sufficient that it would be equivalent to the salvation of our soul. And that's not just true of my soul, and that's not just true of your soul, that's true of every soul. Every soul is priceless, and priceless in the eyes of God. One of the pictures that Jesus gives of salvation is a shepherd who has lost a sheep. In Luke 15, he gives a parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he find it. And when he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance." See, here is Jesus, and he's talking about being a shepherd and having a flock of sheep. He has 99 of them that are safe with him, but one has been lost. There is no number where Jesus is, Jesus is saying that there's no number here where it would be, you know what, I got 99, I can afford to lose one. Oh, I have 999, I can afford to lose one. I have 9,000, I can afford to lose one. What Jesus is saying, every lost soul is worth pursuing. Every lost sheep is worth going after. And Jesus is saying that he is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. And God gives us the command, Go ye therefore and teach all nations. Lost souls are worth pursuing. And he thought that lost souls, Paul thought that lost souls were worth pursuing even with all the persecution that he faced. In verse number two, he says, but even after that, we had suffered before. Now, if you go back and you talk about, you know, what are the things that Paul suffered before? Before he got to Thessalonica, before he went on that missionary journey, he had suffered. If you go back to Acts chapter number 14, he says, And there was an assault made both of the Gentiles and also of the Jews with their rulers to use them despitefully and to stone them. 
and they were aware of it. They, they knew about it and fled unto Lystra and Derby, cities of Lyconia, and unto the region that lieth about. In verse number 19, it says, And there came thither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconia, who persuaded the people, and having stoned Paul, drew him out of the city, supposing he had been dead. This was all on his first missionary journey. This is the journey where God called him to preach the gospel. <coughs> But Paul did not quit after that first journey. He went on a second one. On the second one, it says in verse 2, and were shamefully entreated, as you know, at Philippi. <clears throat> we're not going to read all the verses here, but needless to say, he was beaten and he was jailed. He was falsely accused. And what Paul is saying here in verse number 2, he says, even after all of that, I kept going. <clears throat> even after all of that, I went on a second missionary journey and preached the gospel again. And even after what they did to me at Philippi, I was willing to do it again in Thessalonica. Some of you might be aware that today is the Super Bowl. It's the biggest watched event every single year. <clears throat> in fact, 30 of the top 31 most watched broadcasts in U.S. history have all been Super Bowls. On average, a third of every single person in this country is going to be watching the Super Bowl. That's a lot of people. There's a lot of glitz, a lot of glamour. A lot of the most well-known players in NFL history made their mark in the Super Bowl, or in trying to get to the Super Bowl. One of the greatest to ever play the game was Joe Montana. I never really got to see Joe Montana in his prime. I was too young for that, but I, I've seen replays, and I've seen him play, and I've seen some of the things that he did, and he won a lot of Super Bowls. He was kind of the benchmark, if you will, for Super Bowl champions before Tom Brady came around. If you wanted to be the best, you had to beat Joe Montana. But Joe Montana really suffered to win those Super Bowls. In 1987, he was hit in one, in, in, in one of the games, and he was completely knocked out cold and taken out of the stadium in, a, in an ambulance. In 1990, he went and played in the NFC Championship game, and while avoiding one player, another person hit him from behind, hit him with his helmet on Joe Montana's helmet, and drove his head into the ground. The hit broke his hand, it cracked his ribs, it bruised his sternum and his stomach and gave him a concussion. In 1993, a couple of players tackled him to the ground and drove him into the ground. And one of the players who tackled him asked him, he, he saw him moaning there and asked him if he was okay. But Joe Montana couldn't even understand the words that were being spoken to him. He, he suffered through a lot. After his retirement from football, he's had over two dozen surgeries. He's had his neck fused together. He's had back surgery that forced him to sleep in a brace. And his wife said, if you ask him right now if he would do it again, he would answer in one second, absolutely yes. Really, Joe? 
after all the punishment, all the physical pain, all of the concussions, and he said yes. And at least Joe Montana got to wear pads and a helmet. The Apostle Paul had nothing. They threw him into the arena. They threw him into the beating uh, posts, and, and they beat him, and they whipped him, and they jailed him, and they stoned him. And I know that if you went to the Apostle Paul and asked him, would you do it again, he would answer in one second, absolutely yes. And he went and he did it again in Thessalonica and in Berea and in Athens and in Corinth. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, but if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also might be made manifest in our body. I believe that lost souls are worth pursuing. And that's what our church is about. That's why we preach the gospel. That's why we go out on a Saturday morning. That's why we encourage you to grab some gospel invitations, maybe there on the back, underneath the TV, or on a Saturday morning, so that we might reach souls with the gospel so that they might be saved. So we see that as soul winners, if we're going to trust God, we need to go in the power of God. And we need to pursue these lost souls in the same way that Jesus pursued lost souls. Jesus came to seek and to save that which is lost. And I believe that we need to match that kind of spirit. The last aspect that I believe pleases God is the perspective of the soul winner that pleases God. In verse number four, he says, but as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the, with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God, which trieth our hearts. It is a privilege to preach the gospel to a soul. It is a privilege to be able to carry the cure for sin to those in need of it. It is a privilege. See, I, I have two kids. And I love my kids very much, but I understand little kids are little kids. And so there are certain things that we don't let them do or we don't let them touch. One of the things that they're not allowed to touch in my house is my pocket knife. I have a knife uh, that was gifted to me, and uh, I have a knife. I have a little, also a little Swiss Army knife, you know, little knives here and there. And uh, they are not allowed to touch the knives. They can look at the knife, they can see me use the knife, but they are not allowed to use the knife because it's a knife. It's sharp, it could cut them, they might drop it, you know, and it, they, they might cut something in our house, you know, all of these things. They're not allowed to touch it simply because it's too dangerous for them. There are other things in my house that they are not allowed to touch, not because they are necessarily dangerous, 
but because they are precious to me. They're special. In some ways, they're almost irreplaceable. They're things that I got or I have that mean something. One of the things that I have is uh, after I graduated from college, I went and I did a little traveling. I traveled overseas and I, I, w I, went, to, I went to Italy. And uh, over there, you know, you go and you, you, know, you buy the little trinkets, you know, you buy the little things. And, and one of the things was when I was in Venice, I, I, I found out that there was like a famous like glass blowing uh, island there near Venice. And so I thought, oh, that's kind of special. And so they were selling all of these little glass things. And so I bought a little glass, hand-blown glass gondola, you know, because you're in Venice. And so I thought, hey, that's kind of special. And so I have one of these in my house and, you know, it sits there on the bookshelf. And so, you know, I had it up way up high at the very top of the bookshelf. And when my kids were little kids, you know, they, they had no way of even knowing it was up there. Now they're big enough and clever enough to get up there and see what's up there. You know, they pull chairs over and different things like that. They want to they wanna see what, what's up there. And so, but they know they're not allowed to touch it because it's special. It's precious to me. One of these days, they're going to have access to this thing that I'm praying for their safety in, which is one day they will have access to my car. <laughs> one day they are going to drive my car. They're going to get a permit. They're going to get a license and they are going to practice on my car. <laughs> if you want to give up your car to let them practice, Amen. Praise the Lord. But I'm pretty sure that my kids will practice driving in my car. When I was a teenager, uh, I knew somebody going to our church, uh, and he used to be a race car driver. And uh, he, at one point, had gotten into an accident so bad that his wife said, either you choose racing or you choose me. He was lost. They were, they were all lost at the time. And uh, so he chose his wife. Now he's got to figure out what to do with his life. And, uh, but he loved cars, and so he got into the auto, auto body business. And he was pretty good at it, pretty good at business, pretty good at this industry, to the point where he got his own shop, then he got two shops, then he got three shops, then he was buying out other shops. I think at one point he had like 20 different auto body shops under his business. He was doing pretty good. So good that he bought a Ferrari good. And I had heard about this Ferrari, but, you know, Ferraris are like an urban legend, you know? One day, on a Sunday night, after church, he came and he brought his Ferrari to the church. And so, you know, all of us boys, I don't remember if I was a teenager or a college student, I don't remember exactly how old I was, but we, we all stood on the sidewalk looking at this Ferrari like, whoa. You know, it's a silver Ferrari. I, I, I don't know what kind of Ferrari it was, but, you know, it's a silver Ferrari. The first thing that struck me was, wow, this car is low. You know, you think about cars, you know, you sit in it. You know, you have to, like, squat to get down into this car, you know? And I was thinking, wow, you know? And uh, I knew, now, I was not that close to him or the family, so I, I knew I can't even ask the question, can I drive your car? But there were some that were bold enough to ask, can I drive your car? And he just laughed and he said, no, <laughs> no, you can't. Even one of his sons asked and he said, he said, no. Now, I don't know why, but his other son 
was allowed to drive it. I remember him getting into the car and his girlfriend was there. His girlfriend got into the car and I could see this huge smile on his face. Man, me, my girlfriend, a Ferrari. I mean, what more could you ask for, you know? You know, there's a reason why he doesn't just let anybody drive the Ferrari, right? Because it could get sullied, it could get tarnished, it could get scratched, he could get into a car accident, all of these different sorts of things. It's special and it's precious. The gospel is precious to God. It cost him the life of his son. And the gospel is often tarnished not by the lost, but by believers. In the way that we live, in the way that we talk, in the way that we share the gospel with others. You know, I'm pretty sure if, that, if you drive that Ferrari, you would make sure that you're driving it very carefully, very well, making sure this person has entrusted to me this Ferrari. I can't mess it up. I can't drive it off the side of the road. I can't, I can't make any mistakes. It's a privilege to drive this car. And it's a privilege to preach the gospel. God has given to us the keys to the car of the gospel ministry and entrusted to us the message that we will take this vehicle called the gospel that can save somebody's soul and give it to somebody else. It's a privilege that we would be able to deliver the good news of the gospel to somebody who is lost. God has many angels that, if you think about it, have never once time, never once, ever disobeyed God. Gabriel has never disobeyed God. Michael, the archangel, has never disobeyed God. There are angels that have never disobeyed God, and God could have given that responsibility to them but he did not. He gave it to us. And that means it's a privilege. It's a privilege for us to represent the Lord, to be able to bear the flag of our Savior Jesus Christ before the world and share the gospel with others. Now, I believe it's that perspective that pleases God, that we understand that it is a privilege to preach the gospel, to pursue lost sinners, and to see them to be saved by the power of God.